HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and we're joined today by a guest named Laura Zinfram. Hi. Hi. And she has just written a book that is really, really lovely, really con- confessional and personal, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. It is called Sweet Survival, Tales of Cooking and Coping. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Thank you for so, having me. And, and Laura, you're... you're you come from a background of journalism. You've been an editor at Business Week. Mm-hmm. Um, you've written for the New York Times. And you also have an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University. I do. So this <laughs> is true. quite a departure. Um, you talk a little bit about some some writing influences, um, <clears throat> like MFK Fisher in mm-hmm. this book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what other, what other folks uh, do you admire in this sort um, of food narrative? I really, I love Bill Buford's Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I love Julia Child. Um, everything she she wrote, I, I love. I loved Gabrielle <laughs> Hamilton's book, Blood, Bones, and Butter. Yeah. Um, but then I, I'm also very influenced by just people who write memoir, like Mary Carr, who wrote Lit. Yeah. Um, and Cheryl Strait, who wrote, wrote Wild. And maybe they mentioned food in those books, yeah. but... They just were great writers, so those infl- they influenced me as well. I, I can definitely see that, and MFK Fisher definitely is. Um, I love her. Yeah, it's just such a classic. Um, and, and, and you know, I was kind of thinking about the genre of like the narrative, sort of memoir, or food essay, personal food writing um, as a genre, and I was wondering why we don't see more uh, other like hobbies or crafts being written about in such a way. Do you know what's funny? I was talking about that last night with my sister-in-law because mm-hmm. we're all so food obsessed and we were t- and she's a psychologist and we were trying to figure out like why do we all talk and write about food so much? So much. Not like I, I don't know basketball or Well, <laughs> you know, and I think the thing is like that we do three all of us do three things. We all sleep, we all go to the bathroom and we all <laughs> eat. 
you know, some people play basketball, some people like, you know, create sculptures, but like we all do these two things where you're not going to talk about, you know, sleeping or going to the bathroom because they're boring and kind of gross, but everybody eats. So it's like a very natural conversation starter, you know, and it's something we can all it's universal. About. It's universal. Um, yeah. I, so I think that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, there's so much good food available now. And yeah. um, I think it's become this massive phenomenon of just cooking and talking about it. And um, I mean, I've certainly you know, yeah. signed on to that plan. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of food narrative going on, which is really good. Yeah. And, and I love how um, you came into food writing a little bit later because, you know, you're writing about business and politics um and you mentioned that you kind of departed from journalism when you had your second child sort of like moved to the suburbs had a second child and uh you mentioned that some other journalists that you knew kind of took up blogging as a way to flex flex their creative muscles other women that you knew in the same sort, sort of boat i mean i was blogging too and i was mm-hmm. um blogging about you know sort of typical parenting issues um but it wasn't i wasn't having an experience that was unique to me you know eight zillion people out there raising children um in the suburbs so i was looking for a way to start a column for a local online newspaper and i decided to write about food because where we live everybody you know wants to eat but there's not a lot of great takeout so Mm -hmm. people just cook um i mean you go to eat too but so I started writing about cooking, and the column became popular, and then I started writing about it for Huffington Post, because my editor moved there. And mm-hmm. um, So I found writing about food gave me a way to also write about emotions and family life and sort of like the psychodynamics of being an adult. Yeah. Um, whereas when I was at Business Week, you know, I, I wrote about all these public companies, and it was very exciting, but, you know, it was... <laughs> It was on some level, you know, very detached and very impersonal, Mm. which is what business writing has to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had done that for a long time, and I was just ready to, like, write about feelings, I guess, um, which I was able to do through writing about food. Congrats for doing that. I think that's really bold. And I I really thought that a lot of your story was so, uh, it was really relatable. I mean, I'm not, I don't have kids yet or anything, but... um, you know, you mentioned that, that when you did decide to leave journalism, leave being a staff writer at Business Week, you felt sort of a little depressed. You became a little bit lost and needed to find something else to do with your time other than be a stay-at-home mom. Well, you make a really good point, which is I think if you're home with your kids or you're home doing anything, really, and you don't have a lot of structure, you have to find a way to structure your day, you know, if that's going to be like going to work out or walking your dog or whatever. But like there have to be certain marks that you hit. Otherwise, you're just going to lie in bed and look mm-hmm. at your email or, you know, watch reality TV. So I found that like dinner gave me something to sort of build my day around right. um, and something to work towards. And that's you know, not insignificant at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I love, though, something that I, I thought was very timely um, that you wrote about that time Um, if you wouldn't mind I'm going to read a passage okay Uh, speaking of other colleagues you write neither of us had figured out that you could have any wait sorry neither of us had figured out yet that you could have anything you wanted as an adult you just couldn't have everything we thought we should have everything even though we didn't know anyone who did most of the successful female journalists I knew were divorced or never married a few of them were widows One of the most successful women I knew was married and then had a baby with another married editor. 
I didn't think I could be a full-time journalist and have anything close to a happy family life. Hmm. <laughs> um, I did think that. You know, yeah. it was this time um, when, I, if, it, to me, it, anyway, it appeared that it, um, your career was very all or nothing, you know, yeah. and you either three... I mean, when I was working at Business Week, I was there six or seven days a week. I was mm-hmm. often there on Saturday nights. I was definitely working there. into the night. Yeah, like, that was just my life, and I ate crap, and, you know, Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cups, and, like, I didn't care, but um, I didn't want that to be the way I operated as a parent. I just yeah. thought that would make me dysfunctional, my kids, you know, junk food addicts, so um, I didn't see how I could make it work, and I, I mean... That was years ago. People mm-hmm. make it work, and um, there's, you know, lots of people. There's books about that, making it work, right? Yeah, I mean, but I didn't think I could do it, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. and, I, and and truthfully, I probably could have done it, and I could. probably should have done it. But, um, but at what cost, you know? <laughs> I, at, the point, at that point, I didn't think I could. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so now. And, and another interesting sort of phenomenon that happened was the typo job you had, being a staff editor at a magazine, was sort of falling like the ground is falling out from beneath it, um, you know, these types of positions. And journalism is not not what it used to be. No, anymore. not at all. And I probably ultimately would have either lost my job or been eased out of it, you know, because Business Week was bought by Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I would have stayed on. But, um, you know, and I, and I did see plenty of people stay on and make it work as parents. But at the time, it just seemed, you know, overwhelming to me, which <laughs> was just probably silly. But so, so this book is... A series of, I guess, vignettes, essays, stories um, about, in particular, coping and survival. That's the sort of unified theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. I mean, I um, I came from a family where my mother was a fantastic, is a fantastic cook, um, and so I grew up eating these wonderful meals. You know, no matter what, dinner was in the dining room. You know, we used silver on china, and and the food was wonderful. Um, and that was like a constant in my life. Mm-hmm. And then, but my father was very volatile and difficult. So it was like this sort of weird contrast of having like the chaos of him mm-hmm. with my mother's like very beautiful dining. But I learned that like, you know, cooking was the unifying thing. That was how you sort of got through the day. That's how you made sure that everybody ended the day, you know, sort of calmly and happily and at least well fed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of what I've tried to do for my own family. Um, You mentioned a particularly rough year in the introduction um, where a few people close to you have passed on. Do you find that cooking was something that picked up at times of of great distress and something you did more? Absolutely. Like, I find whenever I'm feeling any kind of anxiety, I just think, okay, how am I going to get back into the kitchen? What am I going to make? And sometimes I'll make something that I've made a hundred times before, but sometimes like the challenge of learning a new recipe, like just takes you to another place, you know, and, and sort of make some of the, uh, the difficulties recede. So yeah, absolutely. Focusing on something that is nourishing. Yeah. And I think just the sort of the, the repetition, like of moving your hands and chopping, like it does soothe your mind. There's something meditative about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I find that, you know, in times of stress, cooking is a huge relief. Plus, yeah. you get something good to eat as a result. Yeah, so definitely, you know, that helps de-stress you. Yeah. And so, what's 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 more therapeutic, cooking or writing about it? Because you seem to do a lot of That's both. That's really, oh, probably writing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think I am first and foremost a writer. Um, but you know, um, it's easier to cook for an hour sometimes than it is to write. Mm-hmm. So I probably will cook more in a week sometimes than I do I actually write 
but I find both. You know, yeah. I, I find anytime you're st- sitting still, I think, and doing something repetitive, whether it's typing on the keyboard or chopping onions, I, mm-hmm. I think it can help be a coping mechanism. Totally. Now, I wonder if you've gotten this question a lot, because I remember when I was first starting to write about food and getting obsessed and writing my little ditties about recipes that I meet up, people would always say, oh, so so when are you going to open the restaurant, Kathy? Like, <laughs> Or when are you going to open the bakery or something like that? I'm like, no, I'm just doing this because I have to, like, I want to. It's not for a restaurant. Did you did you get that? You know what? I actually worked in my cousin's bakery for a mm-hmm. while. Um after I left Business Week, I was my cousin had a bakery um, downtown, and um, it was called Charles and Laurel Desserts. And so I saw how hard it was to, you know, and it was a small bakery, but he, you know, had a staff, and he had to constantly like deal with ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I, I, after that, as much as I enjoyed being there, I was nope. like, this is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> It's totally um, different. It's very yeah. different. It's very different. And, you know, some of it involves cooking, but a lot of it is managing people and mm-hmm. buying ingredients and, you know, negotiating with, you know, whoever you're, you're selling your food to. So I don't think a restaurant is, or a bakery is in my future yeah. anytime soon. And it also kind of sucks the, the fun out of it, too, when you have to do it for to make ends meet. You know, I, I think, think it's like a different skill. It's, oh. it's running a business, um, which, you know... I'm not sure I'm qualified to do so, um, but you know I love going to restaurants. So yeah. kudos to whoever yeah. can make one work. So, so yeah, I mean, and kudos also for making writing about food like the end, the end all be all, and like, and also that delicious meal which you, you know, you write so eloquently about how how rewarding that is in itself. Well, you know, because you, you write about food. It, you know, it, no matter usually whatever you're making, if you followed the recipe and the recipe is reliable, it will turn out. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can adjust it if you if you need to. But it is very rewarding, and then you you know you can eat it by yourself and feel ecstatic. You have all this food to yourself, or you can share it, which is sharing more lovely. Yeah, and now of course you have this book, which I'm curious how long did it take to write? Because there's there's essays about in like life events that happen throughout your life. Um, Strewn throughout. Well, I started writing it probably in 2011, I think I started writing this column about cooking and coping. But I also teach part-time, so Mm -hmm. I was juggling that. And um, and then I started writing a memoir um, about my father's family, which had nothing to do with cooking. um, And I ended up merging that into this for... Various reasons. Um, my my dad had a sort of a crazy story in his family, and ended up writing about it. And I did combine it with food. Which tell me, what was the crazy story? Um, my father had a cousin, a lovely woman, who had adopted baby, and um, and the adoption ended up being reversed. So she and her husband kidnapped the baby. I mean, it was their baby. They disappeared <laughs> with it, and disappeared for more than twenty years. And I didn't really know anything about them, but after my dad passed away, this woman resurfaced and reached out to me. So I ended up having this really lovely conversation, email, many email conversations with her. Um, and then I flew out to meet her husband, and um, and that became part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so that took me a, a solid year to do. So I guess I worked on it for two to three years. Wow. So. Well, congrats to that. Thank um, you. We'll talk more about it right after a quick little commercial interlude. You are listening to Aztec Soldiers by Spiral Jetty Club.
program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, we're chatting more with Laura Zinfram, the author of Sweet Survival, Tales of Cooking and Coping. And uh, the book just came out um, from, where is it? Green Point Press. Yep. So, first book for you, so First congrats. book for me, yeah. Um, so, we were talking a little bit about your dad's story. Um, but, I, you know, throughout this book, there's stories about food and, and cooking them, but they always have characters and they're always tied like a recipe is always sort of tied to a certain character in your life that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah you're right and, you're right you know from folks like um the grandmother you wish you had yes. who is actually your wait like so it's your husband's best friend's wife's mother my like, husband's best friend's mother her oh name okay is lolly okay got it yeah. yeah so and her cooking was a huge influence you know she was she I mean she's alive and well um mm-hmm. She's she's just a lovely person, and we would go up to they have a, a house in Connecticut, and we would go there. When we were young and living in like little tiny cramped quarters in the city, and she had this nice house with a nice pool, and she was always cooking and bringing out platters of mm-hmm. food, and it was always delicious. And it was very basic; it was like little hot dogs and this sort of yummy combination of mustard and jam. And you know, um, she made this great thing called a cake in a cup, you know, where you literally can like put cocoa powder and eggs and flour. Um, and vanilla in a cup and put it in your microwave and it becomes this like Whoa. delicious cake it's in mm. there cool. um, and she everything she did was like easy and delicious and she um, she has just this sort of a very charming welcoming way about her so mm. I ended up writing an essay about her and then I, met, I introduced her to, her to her boyfriend which is oh thing I I'm most that. proud that of that is wonderful yes um, and they're still together. You set them up. I set them up. Yep. So they're they're together. So a lot of nice. characters throughout. Um, does do you think that writing about these stories or, or cooking their dishes that you learned from them kind of allow you to see them in a different way or understand them any better? Yeah, I think yeah. I do actually. I think when I started writing about Lolly, I realized like she had four sons, um, and then her husband passed away, and I realized so no daughters, no daughters, no. Mm-hmm. Um, happens mm-hmm. and um and i just realized like how much she must have enjoyed having people around because people were always at her house and there were always trays and trays of food that she and her mother who lived with her were preparing and i it made me think a lot about what motivated her and, and what helped her sort of 
stay sane and happy, you know, while raising all these kids. Um, and yeah, it gave me a lot of insight into her, actually. So, yeah, I definitely can question. tell that. And um, there's some stories about other characters, like your uh, cooking teacher and friend Arlene, oh. who, who uh, taught you just very simple, basic. Um, but she has a, her, own, her own cookbook mm-hmm. um, called "Pressure Cooking for Everyone," and which she wrote, I think, with Rick Rogers. And she now is. Um, uh, she owned a big cooking store in New Jersey for a while, and now she goes around and teaches at different cooking studios. And oh, okay. she taught me how to use a pressure cooker, which mm-hmm. I had never—I was afraid of. I never, never mastered that. I'm afraid. Yeah, it's actually not hard, but I would recommend either watching a video about it or I hate like not being able to see what's going inside, oh, what's going on. Right? You know, yeah. I mean, you have to sort of like give yourself over to your faith in the, in the pressure yeah. cooker. But it actually makes—I mean, I've made like millions of different risottos in there and steamed vegetables and things come out really well in a pressure Mm -hmm. cooker anyway she taught me and she also taught me a bunch of other things like buy white china food looks better you know on Mm -hmm. white and Mm -hmm. um this is how you make manila vinaigrette and so she's just this very sort of practical resourceful cook um and she had learned from her own mother who who had been a very it it definitely made me realize that like the way i cook the way you cook the way we all cook is like just really a combination of people's influences (laughs) throughout the years and sometimes the most random people or sometimes somebody very close to you and it's a nice way to spend time with someone Mm -hmm. you know like i have found that like i end up getting to know people better you know as we're like assembling a salad or roasting a chicken in a class in a Mm -hmm. way that i probably never would have Otherwise, no. you know, but the end, you have this nice thing you've made, and you have sort of, you know, a burgeoning friendship, which is mm-hmm. nice to, to have. Totally. Um, tell me about one of the interesting characters that walks through this book is uh, Craig Claiborne. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. I was really impressed that your mom, at one point, managed to talk him into coming to dinner. It is a crazy... No, it was lunch. It a was lunch. lunch. Okay. Um, she had a friend who had built our kitchen, actually, and his name is John Cristaldi, and he was trying... She was trying to help him generate business, you know. So uh, she was cook. trying to help her friend's business. So she... And um, he was a good cook, and my mom's an excellent cook. Okay. So she typed out a letter, you know, in the late 1970s. Sent it in the quick, mail. Sent it in the mail. It was like typewriter mailed times. And he came. His driver drove him out. He came, you know, he he had wine, you know, and with lunch. And um, my mother and, and John Crisaldi made him this big, elaborate meal. And then he wrote about it, oh. you know, in the Times. And um, it was great for everyone. So he wrote about the meal <laughs> that was served to him at a home, at yeah. a person's home. Yeah. And, and through that, your friend John had maybe a mention about his business. His business article. increased. My mother went into the public relations business because um, she good was, for her. Yeah, because right? <laughs> <laughs> um, she was good at it. And I guess Craig Claiborne had a story for the day or the week. Okay, um, oh and everybody got a good lunch out of it. It is so clever. Um, have you tried doing that with any food critics? <laughs> Um, I actually haven't tried. We should, we should try it. I would see try. what happens. Yeah. See if we can get some big reviewer coming. Come out down right. too. Yeah, I would do that. I mean, I think sometimes people, you know, you sort of imagine that an editor, you know, at a major newspaper has a zillion things to write about. And sometimes they don't, you mm-hmm. know. And sometimes you just the right letter at the right time can capture someone's attention. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, yeah, it's, it's I, I think that's very clever. Food but, entices people. Yes, you know. definitely. Um, so you talk a little bit about holiday food and celebrating various different holidays. Yep. 
through food. And you grew up in Midwood? Or no, your family, uh, no, my, your father's family is from Midwood. My mother's family is from Midwood, and my father's family is from Borough Park. Mm-hmm. I, we grew up in, I grew up in New Jersey. My parents moved there when I was like five or six. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so you ce- celebrated with some classic treats and i was loving the chapter that had um like shakshuka and what what Uh, else was it um oh cooking for a crowd what is this okay yeah and which holiday was that that was actually um post my my father shiva father shiva (laughs) which um, no no no, it's totally fine i mean that that was when it really um i realized when my dad passed away and we had all this food that like people want to eat they want to congregate and they want to eat uh-huh. happy times, sad times, you know. Um, so I and I, but I did. I learned to make shikshuka um, after visiting my my husband's family in Israel. He's quite a number of relatives mm-hmm. in Israel, and it, um, one of the the cousins made this dish, which I was blown away by. So yeah. I came back and learned how to make it. I, I love the food in that chapter, um, the artichoke frittata. Um, it sounds like you guys had a really good meal for the shiva. <laughs> um, why not? You know. You know? You you try to make the best of it, you know, and everyone wants to send off. All right. Well, um, what are you working on these days? So, are you you still doing journalism, or I still I write for the Huffington Post. Yeah, um, about cooking and coping. About cooking and coping. I have a couple pieces coming out this week. Um, I think my next book, assuming I get myself together to write the next book, is going to be something. I was thinking something more about being a girl in middle age, and I don't. I, I will probably include recipes in it, but um, just about um, you know entering being fifty something and how do you a make that girl, work? And you look like you're twenty, a so girl it's probably in doesn't middle resonate. age. I'm trying to I'm like trying to you know, hold on means. to your girldom, you know, oh. in middle age, but that's it's very preliminary. Interesting. I'm not sure I, thought, where I'm I wasn't going sure if that. you're going with like a girl from the middle ages or the oh no. <laughs> No, it will not be a historical, historical book. No, novel. definitely not. Okay. It's very current. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. And I'm glad that you've um, really departed from uh, business. <laughs> and, and it, No, because I really think that um, you hit a stride. And there's something that is so just intimate about writing um, about food. It, yeah, it is, is. I think you really like liberated your voice here. And I really enjoyed and not that I like read your business insider pieces, <laughs> but I, I think that you know you're definitely onto something, and I really enjoyed this book. Oh, so. thank you very much. Yeah, and I'll look for your book too. Thanks. And MFK Fisher is very much, uh, you know, an inspiration that is very still alive today, alive and well. Oh, so yeah. it's really nice to see folks still kind of latching onto this genre. Yeah, and yeah. this is a great new book. So I hope everyone checks it out. Sweet Survival: Tales of Cooking and Coping. And thanks so much for joining us, Laura. Thank you for having me. Great. So that's about all the time we've got for today. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.